Welcome back to Play Tessie. It is episode 33, the Jason Veritek and didn't put this in the show sheet, Jose Canseco episode. We've got an awesome, awesome interview with Chris Murphy coming up on the official podcast of the PGA Tour. But before we get there, remember, rate us five stars, subscribe wherever you're listening, Odyssey app, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, just search WEI Play Tessie. We'll be there. Subscribe wherever you're at, rate us five stars, all that. We love you. You love us. But, yeah, we want to just kick you right into this. But after, we're, after we do the interview with Chris Murphy, we are going to get into all things Justin Turner. Justin Turner uh, officially signing with the Blue Jays today, reported and officially announced on their, on their Twitter account, which by all accounts stinks. But what doesn't stink, we've got an awesome interview for you guys here coming up with Chris Murphy. We are joined by a very special guest, someone that if you listen to the show, you know he was destined to make his play Tessie debut sooner rather than later. It's Red Sox lefty Chris Murphy. How's your offseason going, man? Are you itching to get back on the field? I'm, I'm itching pretty pretty bad to get back on the field. Uh, it was nice to meet you guys at winter weekend. Uh, it was a blast. I'm glad you guys are having me on here. Happy to have you on, dude. We are so excited. This is like our, this is our white whale. Like this is this is a big moment. Like that's the history right here. Chris, what what do you think of Red Sox fans? Like before you kind of got to mingle, like what was your perception of what the fan base would be like? Um, you know, there's there's the good and the bad of of every fan base. Uh, we kind of touched on it. I grew up a Yankee fan, so I'd kind of seen bad Yankee fans and good Yankee fans as well. And then my my dad was kind of that way about the rivalry a little bit in terms of uh, he really did really dislike the Red Sox, but I never saw it that way. I think that's just the baseball player in me that saw it as those are baseball players and watching big poppy hit that home run. Uh, I, we all know which one I'm talking about. Like those moments are baseball moments. Right. And um, I kind of fell into it pretty quick that some of the best fans in the game are in Boston. So um it's it's pretty cool being being a part of a historic franchise like that. God, so you grew up a Yankee fan. That, yeah. That's interesting. So you you get drafted by the Red Sox in the sixth round. Tell me tell me how that went. Like, what was that like with your family? That was the last team on my board that I thought would ever pick me. Honestly, um, I I'd fallen a little bit more than I thought I would go. Um, looking back, it doesn't really matter where you get picked, but. Thinking back to that day, I was like rattling off texts to scouts like, hey, I'm I'm ready to play pro ball. It's not down my mind. I don't want to go back to college. I texted a bunch of teams. The Red Sox were not one of them. I talked to J.J. Altabelli once, I believe. Yeah, they they kept it very low key. They, they keep a lot of things close to their chest, even when it comes to drafting players. So um, when I got that call, like, hey, they're going to take you with their next pick. I was like, OK, cool. And I. I went inside and I told everyone I'm getting picked in the sixth round, but I'm not saying who it is. You guys are going to be kind of surprised. And my dad just started guessing and he, the, the Red Sox were his last guess. He pulled up the sheet. He's like, there's no way there's no way. And so yeah, it was the last pick of the sixth round. Cause they had one in 2018. So um, I think it was pick 197 right around Tom Brady. I was gonna say, right I was around. Gonna say. Close. Around Tom Brady. Shout out at hand for that one. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you let your, your you let your family hear it on the TV organically. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, we we let them hear it, or I let them hear it organically. But my dad, my dad knew, and my he he blurted it out loud. Everyone figured out that it was going to be the Red Sox when it was the last pick of the sixth round. They're like, oh, he's not going in the seventh round, so it's yeah. this pick. Yeah. So is your dad just like a playing both sides of the fence, like he likes Red Sox, like Yankees now, or is he now yeah, uh, is he, is he switching know. over? I th- I think he's more of a Red Sox fan. He's a fan of whatever team I'm playing for. So yeah. Yeah. So kind of going back to the draft, obviously the MLB draft is so insanely different than NFL, NBA, NHL. It's a lot longer and the picks literally kind of come out of nowhere. Yep. What's that process like? Like, do you know that there's scouts looking at you and then you kind of reach out or do teams contact you? So, I mean, there's there's a couple different sides of the coin. I went through it in high school where all of these scouts come to your house and they do sit down meetings, talk to you and your parents. Um, just like thoughts on pro ball, like ask, fill out all these questionnaires, right? And every questionnaire is the same for every team or maybe a couple different questions, depending on the team you're, um, that's interviewing you pretty much and didn't get drafted out of high school, move on from that. Once I got to college, it was meeting these area scouts at the Starbucks down the street. And I would line up five or six of them in a row on a, on a Saturday morning, we'd practice Saturday nights. Okay, so Saturday morning, have five or six of these meetings in a row. Um, just kind of line them up like clockwork and answering a lot of the same questions over and over, like throwing programs, what's your idea? Uh, what do you see yourself as in the future? Yada, 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 stuff like that. And when it comes time to draft day, unless you're a first or second round, you really have no clue at all. Um, you're just kind of thrown in there. You have... Because you're you're covering so many more players than you are in the NFL. You're looking at the combine for the NFL. Those are the guys that are getting drafted high. And then you have in in baseball, it's your you got JUCO guys, you got high school guys, you got D three, D two, and then D one guys, right? Like you have a giant draft class, and you never know who's going to get picked, who's not. Um, so it it is a whirlwind. You just kind of wherever the wherever the Wherever the mic falls, like that's where you're at, right? Um, and that, that's sometimes teams contact you. Most of the times, the team contacts you in regards to that. I was getting desperate. I was like, well, what's going on? But um, I think that was probably a, a one off scenario. So, so we've discussed the, uh, the whole draft situation, everything. Take us through the major league call up, and if I remember correctly, it was on was it on your birthday or it was around on my birthday? birthday? It was on my birthday. Yeah, was that-, that was uh. I thought Chad Tracy, our AAA manager, I thought he was just calling to give like say happy birthday, and whatnot. Just for, he's like, I got a really good birthday present for you. It was on speaker on my way home from dinner. Um, I was like, yeah. He's like, you're pitching in the big leagues at some t- at some point this week. I don't know when, but you're it's gonna happen. I was like, oh, my God. Uh, okay. Started freaking out. Um, uh, that the, Reliving that situation was crazy. Uh, that's a, It's kind of like a blur of 12 hours because I got that call around like 6.37. My flight was at 6 a.m. the next morning. Had to make a bunch of calls. Had to pack. Had to... Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I also had Caleb Hamilton and his wife and then Brandon Walter and his now fiance 
were at the apartment when I got back and I was like, well, we can't go do the escape room. Like why? I was like, okay, well I'm going to the big leagues. And Brandon Walter thought I was messing around. He's like, he's like, shut up. Uh, I was like, no dude, like I'm serious. He goes, shut up. I was like, no, I'm really serious about this. He's like, no way. I was like, yep. So had to pour myself a drink for that one. I don't drink very often. I had to calm down a little bit. And then next morning we're out there. I think I had three Red Bulls, not much sleep, not much sleep at all that night. Thank, thankfully did not pitch on the sixth. Instead, got got a full night's sleep in Cleveland, pitched on the seventh. Oh, man. Okay, I want to go back a little bit because I think one of the things that we play Tessie, you know, pride ourselves on is we we humanize you larger than life athletes that people watch on the field. They don't always get a chance to talk face to face. Yeah. You said that when you were called up, you were you were freaking out a little bit. What's the Chris Murphy version of like freaking out at a big life moment like that? Uh, it was more just speechless, kind of like right now talking about it. It's hard to hard to really recollect that moment. Um, I, well, there wasn't much of a freak out. I'd say I wasn't like panicking or crying per se. There was definitely like a holy shit, this is happening. But nothing of the sorts of like jumping up and down like I just won eighty grand kind of thing. It was more of a my dreams are kind of coming true. It's a it's a full circle moment. It's what I've been working for my whole life. And when you get to that point, it's it's kind of like a more calm. I felt pretty calm more than anything. I did need a drink to just like let that actually sit in. Like this is happening. Pinch myself a couple times. Um. And after that, I kind of just said, oh, I had a good, good talk the next morning. I'm on the, on the plane. It's actually my roommate in the next room over right now. Uh, Rio Gomez. We were supposed to get coffee on that Tuesday morning. And I didn't have time to text him like, hey, I can't go get coffee tomorrow. He calls me. He's like, are you on a plane? I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh, my God. I go, yeah. He goes, hey, man, just remember, even if you shit the bed, you're still a big leaguer. No. Yeah, you know, and that's something that's like actually stuck to me. He's like, it doesn't matter. No matter what happens on that mound, you're a big leaguer at the end of the day. And I was like, that that is that's I told him that today, actually. And I was like, that has stuck with me for a long time. And that's probably gonna stick with me forever was that conversation of no matter what, and you just kind of just let it go, right? Um but yeah, just kind of that sense of belonging is I think what leads to success up there. But going back to that question. I'm not the freak out guy. I'm the sit down and I'm like, yeah, people were pe people around me. My girlfriend was freaking out way more than I was. She was crying, eyes bawling, like, oh my God, it's happening. It's all happening. My parents, both, both of them were freaking out. I was just like, yeah, I get to pitch in the big leagues in the next couple of days and just more excited than anything. It's funny you, you mentioned that, that text. Cause like you did the exact opposite of shit the bed. Like you, you go to Cleveland and come out of the bullpen and it's three and a third scoreless with five K's. Like what, what goes through your mind? Like you're in the middle of that outing. Like you're, you're going back to the dugout. It's like, okay, keep going. You got another, you got another. Like what, what the hell goes through your mind? Your, your dreams are coming true. You're, you're pitching on a big league mound against the Cleveland guardians and you're, you're mowing them down. Like what, like what, what, what even goes to your mind during that? Absolutely nothing. There was nothing going on. It was lights on, no one's home. I was just kind of throwing. And 
I had Kike tell me when I got to the mound, he's like, hey, take it all in. You're a big leaguer. And I was like, okay. But there was a runner on second and two outs. I'm like, he's not going to score. Kind of like the first thing that kind of went in my mind. I took like two seconds, three seconds to kind of take it in. I got rushed to get to get hot, which is, I think, the best case scenario. I didn't freak out. I had a batter and a half to get loose, and I was in the game. So I was just just throwing as hard as I can, just get my arm going and kind of throw and pray when I got out there. It's like, I'm, I'm trusting it's all going to be there. Um, after the game is when I really took it in. I pitched that last inning, sat on the bench, and just kind of looked around for a solid two or three minutes of that just happened. Not Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot I really remember about that outing, to be honest with you. Um, I almost got my head taken off by the second pitch I threw. The first pitch was a foul ball. Second pitch was a line out to Kike. That's, other than that, not not a lot. So that was your debut in Cleveland. Your home debut at Fenway was against the New York Yankees. Yes, it was. That How was fucking that. surreal was that? <laughs> That was a cool one, especially uh, the doubleheader on that Sunday. Um, and right in the middle of being in that like that race, that AL East race is always is always fun, or at least in my experience of it, it, it is fun. So um, I wish I could tell you about that one too. I don't really remember a lot of these outings. Um, that one was, uh, I think I caught, I got called up like a few days before I hit my two weeks to come back anyways. So it was just more of a surprise when you're in Norfolk. Um, they're like, hey, you're going back to the big leagues. I'm like, okay. And they're like, they told me on Saturday, you're not going to be throwing on Saturday. We're probably going to have a doubleheader Sunday. You're going to most likely throw game one. Like, okay, cool. And so like, do what you did last time. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think fun. I think it's kind of like an ignorance is bliss kind of thing. If when I didn't overthink it was when I probably pitched the best, and that's probably a good outlook into next season. So, Chris, so this herein lies the difference between you and the four of us coop backstage. I, I think I can comfortably speak for all of us. If any of us had the chance to throw one singular pitch in the majors, let alone Fenway Park, I think we'd all be. I mean, for me personally, I'd be shaking sweating i get nervous when i'm like playing a video game and i have to fight a boss is this something that you've like taught yourself to do to stay calm or is that just all natural i don't i see i don't know i feel like sometimes i'm a very nerve-wracking person but I, i've never had that feeling with baseball i had a i do remember this my dad you remember you you can like tivo things like the you can record tv shows and my dad recorded this 160 minute episode with this free climber the guy that free solos these mountains and it's nuts to watch. It's absolutely insane. And he had this one line in there where he said, it's the moment where I get nervous that I know that I've absolutely like something has gone totally wrong and you stop trusting what you've done. Like if you, if you trust that you've prepared for that moment and that's where you belong, the nervousness should subside and it should feel more like excitement. I would say I was extremely excited to pitch on that mound on any mound I go on to pitch in the big leagues. It's, it's more of a differentiating that from having the shakes, being nervous. I'm under the adrenaline's running. I got to chill out. It's more of a hone into that and kind of lean into that and call it excitement, I guess. Right. It's like your, your outlook on that. 
Like I think uh, Bryson Stott's home run in the playoffs is probably one of those ice cold moments. And in that sense, like 50,000 people are in Philly, the place is bumping. And he's probably in that moment, not nervous at all. Like I'm, I'm swinging a first pitch heater and it's gone. Um, I, I couldn't tell you what he was actually thinking, but I would imagine most of us are along those lines of being excited instead of nervous. And I think that that might be the mindset change that we've been trained for for a long time. All right. I'll flip it on you. What yeah. does make you nervous? Speaking in front of a large group of people. I'll pitch in front of, I'll pitch in front of 35,000 all day. You tell me to speak and I not allowed to have my, uh, artistic say on how I speak, uh, use my own language or have to rehearse something. I can't do it. It's, it's worse than anything in the world. So, um, I say it's either that not doing karaoke ever my shit. I can't do it. I That's the, that's the stage fright in me is right there. Um, that's my nervousness. I, I would say probably. Pat, you're a big karaoke guy. Oh, Is what? I, my go-to karaoke granted, I am quite inebriated when it gets to that point, <laughs> but Lately, it's been uh, accidentally in love from the Shrek Two soundtrack. I mean, you can't go wrong. <laughs> Pat, can we can we go to one of those karaoke bars and just sing Nickelback all night? Yeah, no free advertising. Uh, Butterfly. It's a restaurant up the street. It's half Chinese restaurant, half karaoke. I'm there probably four or five times a year. How did you know it was? From, I think the the funniest thing of this entire. This entire spiel is the fact that you knew it was not from Shrek, but Shrek 2. Oh, yeah. you see the movie enough. You know exactly where it's from. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So we won't catch Chris Murphy doing uh, karaoke. Maybe Pat, if I'll, anyone wants to. I'll, like, I'll still do it. The nervousness is just going to be there. Yeah, we'll do it. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find, we we got to get uh, Zach Kelly in here and we'll do like yeah. a play that's what the liquid courage is for right and gotta yeah. gotta have a few in order to do it what's the ad where the guy they're like singing karaoke and he like goes down on one knee like he's gonna propose but he's actually playing a shoe they're singing they're singing duets from there oh wow uh, hold on i Let know me what you're talking about i don't know what song that is it's, it's on during like literally every single football game like i see it might, it might be sweet Sunday. caroline but I, i'm just kidding <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you guys can do it, Sweet Caroline. That'll be the move. Is it the big game? Sing it your no, this is the whopper whopper. Yeah, no, never mind. Uh, I'll, I'll find <laughs> what this. the hell? Okay, yes, they can do at that. That's that's the that's the official decision. The whopper whopper <laughs> song. <laughs> oh, all right. So kind of pivoting. So we kind of talked about last year, rookie year, debut and everything. This year, obviously, some changes, Breslow in. The big one is Andrew Bailey. What's that line of communication been like? Have you talked about like a role yet? What are you like you ramping up? What's the plan? Haven't really discussed it. Um, I think my I'm just resuming from what I was doing last year in terms of build up as an innings guy and whatever they need me to do, I'm going to do. So if that's go one inning, if that's go eight innings, I'll do whatever that is in between. If it's throw to two batters, throw to two batters. So um, I think the role is just kind of up in the air. I think there's a lot of 
I, a lot of uncertainty with what I think it kind of depends on how I show up to spring, which I'm very hopeful for. Um, however, Andrew Bailey's awesome. He's, I, I haven't worked with him personally in a bullpen yet, but I watched him work with some guys and super insightful. Um, it gives immediate feedback to, to these guys and he just, he seems like the man. So I'm excited to work with him in spring and we've, we've talked, uh, just in terms of like what pitches I'm going to be throwing like to righties, to lefties, what we're going to be doing in terms of attacking guys this next year. Um, but in a bullpen, haven't gotten the chance to work with him yet, but super excited to do that. Kind of riding off that. Have you, are you a driveline guy? I did it last off season. Um, it worked out pretty well. I, I guess I've always been a weighted ball guy, if that's what you mean by it. I've been a I, was, ball guy yeah. I was about 10 yeah. um, before driveline was around, but yeah. Yeah. Now with Kyle body in the fold, do you think that ramps up a little bit or do you think um, we'll kind of see how it plays out? I totally forgot about that, but yeah, I, I haven't spoken to him. I'm not sure if it's on the major league side or if it's like player it's development. Good. Yeah. But, um, I'm in, I'm intrigued. He brings definitely a lot of data and analytics to maybe things that most orgs don't look at because yeah. he's him and, uh, Brian Bannister, uh, have turned organizations around in, in terms of pitching. Um, analytically, not necessarily anything like how to teach guys how to pitch, but just what to throw, how to throw it kind of thing, I think is very important to a pitcher, especially at a younger age. If you get guys in the DSL or GCL that are kind of searching for something, they're absolutely, absolutely electric. You, you can make those strides pretty quickly with those guys. What's so it like when you love to, uh, Excuse me, sorry, Gordo. When you go to driveline, I feel like it's become sort of like a like a Valhalla of baseball. When you walk into like their facility and everything, is it is it intimidating, exciting? What's it like? It's cool. Um, they have a, a ton of weight racks, a few batting cages, a ton of places to throw. The plyo wall, the plyo balls are en endless, and then they have a mocap all the way in the back. And it that's that's where all the magic happens is when when you do that motion capture and you're you're shirtless only in your um, your sliders and your shoes and you got these sensors on and they're trying to find any deficiencies or efficiencies in your um, biomechanics. So it's it's a fun it's a it's a fun time there for the couple of weeks that I was there. It was really good. Um, I was working with a bunch of Red Sox guys, uh, Ryan Zephyr John being one of them. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He's a good guy to have on a podcast. I think he's a he's he's a character. He's a creature. For Send sure. him over. <laughs> He's a creature. He's a creature. <laughs> did you find did the motion? Wait, sorry, you said mocap. I want to sound cool. Yeah, yeah. Motion capture. Did the mocap find anything like that you weren't aware of in your delivery? Um, keep in mind, I did this probably end of December, early January of last year, mm. where I wasn't totally ramped up, so the velo wasn't completely there. So there was a couple inefficiencies in terms of like where my arm is when I land at what we call foot strike. So um, just kind of cleaning that up, speeding up the arm and going from there, kind of trusting it will all be there. I did find out that I do throw more strikes when I'm throwing harder, which is interesting. Usually it's the opposite. So the higher intensity I'm at, the more I command the baseball. Um, so that, that means the throw to first base is hard for me. <laughs> You will see me run the ball over and underhand it more often. Than 
That's, it's the most fascinating thing. When, when a ground ball goes crazy. Like 95% of guys, I'm like, oh, God, what's going to happen? Yeah, you should do that for me. If it's, But if it's a double play ball <laughs> oh, to second. God. If it's a double play ball to second, I'm throwing a rocket to second base. So that's seed. Yeah. So you feel better throwing it to second than to first on a ground ball? Oh, yeah. Unless I unless I can fire it from like a, a bunt down the third base line, I'm running that ball over to first. <laughs> Just imagining like a gentle ground ball back to you, like with one out, nobody on, gentle ground ball back to Chris Murphy. Fuck. Oh, I'm not I'm not <laughs> pimping I'm not I'm not pimping it and throwing it down the line. I'm running it over. Nothing flashy. Underhand it to Cassis and call it a day. You should do the uh, do the Julian Tavares. Just fucking roll it over there. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I would. I would. The, the, the bowl. I was at a game where he rolled like there was. It was a double play ball. This was like 2005 or six. I was at Fenway. There was a runner on first ground ball back to Tavares, and he rolls it, and you heard the whole crowd go, "What? What are you doing?" <laughs> Definitely didn't get the double play there. <laughs> Please don't do that. I won't do that. I, I, yeah. I'll work on my soft throws in spring training. How about that? There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Don't focus on PFDs. Focus on the ground balls. Turning. Throwing. So uh, p- pivoting off that, what was your walk-in song last year? And are you going to keep it this year or are you changing it? Um, it was a Flux Pavilion remix done by Nero. Um, was it some heavy EDM? Uh, must be the feeling. I think that was the name of it. Pretty hard song. I'm not sure if I'm going to do it again. Um, that's up in the air. That's open to suggestions. Yeah, accidentally in love. Um. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking. Go ahead, Pat. I'm thinking. Accidentally in love. Just starting out there. Oh. Uh, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll workshop it. We'll workshop. We'll get back yeah, to yeah. this. So you're the type of, you need something a little bit faster, get you like up and going rather. Cause I know some guys like to have like a really calm, like settle you down type song. Like you, you, you want to get like, riled yeah, I, need jacked to, up. I need to, yeah, I need to flip the switch. Um, that's, I think that's something that I do. I'm not. This is the guy you're talking to right now. I wouldn't say is ever out there on the mound. I've gotten into my fair share of scuffles with hitters in terms of not necessarily throwing at them, but making it seem like I intentionally threw at them when it was a total spray and on accident. Um, I've been told to calm down a couple times on the mound. Uh, it's a it's a different it's a different animal. I think every single you talk to any pitcher, they probably have two personalities, one off the field, one on the field. So, um, yeah, I got I got to flip the switch. Usually some some heavier EDM will get that going. Or um, Digits by Young Thug was mine in college and through mostly throughout Pro Bowl, but they didn't let me play it in Portland or Worcester. So What? They didn't let you? No, they, well, they just never played it. I'm assuming they didn't like the – didn't like the – the lyrics or whatever it may be so you should have heard some of the stuff that david ortiz was playing back in the day both both in his walk-up songs and in bp like times yeah, yeah. Times so come out to two phones by kevin gates i forget who that was that's a good one the, the <laughs> funniest one and like like i don't, I don't want to you know slap any stereotypes on anyone but chris martin with like gray hair 
coming out to that like yeah, yeah. rap that Texas yeah. song. Big that extra one. plug. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> he did that more as a joke, I think, because it says I'm from Texas is the first line. They play like 10 seconds of his song. So <laughs> Yeah. The... Yeah, it's actually that's a good that's a good that's a good gym song. Might be on my gym playlist. Can't confirm nor deny. But that's uh is there anyone else in the we'll just stick with the bullpen. Anyone else in the bullpen who's kind of like their outside of baseball personality is nothing like their on the mound personality. Um, say Bernardino is one of them. Friend of the program. Um, Hauk is definitely one of them. Hauk's one of the nicest people in the world and then gets on the mound and a little scared of that guy on the mound. So, um, what about Garrett? I feel like Garrett is so stoic out like off of the mound, but he also looks that way on the mound. He's a very stoic person. Um, he does. He does have two personalities. I'd say. I've I've heard him say. I will. I've heard him talk about what he was thinking about on the mound. He definitely has that that switch flips in terms of. Oh, well, if he doesn't want to stand, if he doesn't want to get hit, don't stand there, kind of thing. Like don't don't get too close. So it, it's he's got it. He's just a very. He keeps his emotions to himself, kind of thing. He doesn't want you to know, but he's. He's genuinely one of the best dudes in around the game. So couldn't be happier for that guy. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he looks like come spring. I saw him in a bullpen. Saw him in a bullpen during winter weekend and pretty good. So he's on the lookout for that. Like based on how he looked, I'm assuming he's throwing like 112 miles an hour now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how hard it was. I don't know how hard it was, but he was putting the ball where he wanted to, and it looked very firm. So, yeah, good. Circling back, circling back, you were saying you get into scuffles, you get kind of yelled out a little bit. You saw like our last guest, uh, Jonathan Papelbon. Uh, maybe a little bit more so <laughs> don't, than don't, you. Don't call, don't call me there yet. Maybe maybe he out a few games to get. There. He might be a little more fiery than you. I don't know. Time will tell, but. I don't like your odds. Uh, <laughs> but, I don't like my odds either. That's a different cat. <laughs> are, do, are you a superstitious guy? No, not at all. All right. So do you have like a set pregame routine? Or you just kind of wake up, do whatever, and then go out there? Um, I make a coffee every morning. You got like a pour over set. It's about all I do. Anything else beyond that is – I'm not necessarily a creature of habit. I have like my few things that I definitely make sure I get done in terms of preparation, but I'm kind of doing if, I don't know, if my back's a little, feels a little tight, I'm going to do some more back stuff. My hamstring's a little tight, I'm going to do some hamstring stuff, but there's no set pregame meal. There's nothing, I think maybe a shower before the game. I like, I take like four showers a day and I do it to like clear thoughts kind of thing. I'll take one in the morning. I'll take one when I get to the field if I really want to. And I'll take one before the game, take one after the game. And it's it's kind of just my – the one before the game clears whatever personality I had before the game, get ready for the next the next thing, which is the game, and then after the game just let it all go. Um, probably important to do after a bad game too for sure is to not, not ride the highs and not ride the lows. You don't want to be stuck to the ceiling or stuck to the ceiling or stuck to the ground. You just kind of want to even keel it. Dude, that's that's. I do the same thing with the shower. That makes me feel good that I'm not the only one who's like, oh, 
Yeah. Start my day, shower, midday, shower, end of the day, shower. It's a good, uh, you know, start up, end of the day. I don't know if anybody's ever felt bad getting out of the shower. No, no, no it's great. And it's not a waste of water, like people say, because you're using it. So <laughs> you're, you're, yeah. you're using it. Yeah, you're not. I would, say, I would say it's a waste of water, but I still do it. Uh, it, helps, it helps your mental. I think it's good. I do have to ask. You said you make a coffee in the morning. Then you told us about how you pounded three Red Bulls. Do you mix those two? That's like a diabolic. No, I didn't have a coffee that day. Um, oh, well, during the season, uh, there's a if – you, if you've watched a couple of – if you watch the bullpen, we do a Red, Bulls, a Red Bull cheer before um, every game. So I'll grab a sugar-free, take a couple sips. Sometimes I finish it. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes it's just a water. Um, but yeah, if I think I'm going that day, I'm chugging a Red Bull at seven ten when the game starts. All right. Well, the, well, the bullpen you... was nasty last year, so let's keep that. Let's yeah, bring yeah. down twenty twenty four. Yeah, I hope did so. Did you it's... ever pick up? Did you ever pick up any routines from anyone else on the team, or was or was there a guy on the team that, that like took you under their wing last year? You know, being a rookie. Chris Martin was definitely Chris Martin and Nick Pavetta were definitely those two guys for me that um, were really about, Hey, you, you come to me if you need anything, like what's going through your head when you, when you sequenced a guy like this or like when things were starting to spiral in a bad way, like what were you thinking about? Just, just so you kind of don't make that mistake again. And um, yeah, those two guys, I didn't take anything necessarily from their routine, but, um, just watching about how they go about it. They're very monotonous. Uh, Chris Martin's not worried about how hard he's thrown in the bullpen. That's something I learned is it doesn't matter how hard I'm throwing the bullpen. Get loose. doesn't matter where I'm putting the ball. He's just getting loose and going out there, and he knows where the ball's going. And Pavetta is, is a freak in terms of what he can do with the baseball. I can't really compare myself to him. He's got some of the best – best shit in terms of his fastball carries like 25, 27 inches. His curveball goes 20 inches the other way. He throws a sweeper, a cutter. Guy can do everything with a ball. And watching how his year just – I don't think I personally watched him um, pitch bad. I think he – that was all before I got there in terms of his numbers. But when I got there, it was – you guys going five, six innings every time, and you're like, this guy's nails. And he definitely – he was definitely the most fun player to watch. And I would kind of – I would kind of watch how he attacked guys and maybe do something similar. If he's getting guys out with basketball up, curveball down, I would kind of try to do something similar. Um, maybe somebody like Javi Baez was probably that guy. Like, throw throw nothing in the zone, just all around it, and he'll swing. Um. Yeah, those two guys, Big Rig and and Pavetta. Big Rig. Well, you picked you picked two good guys. I mean, they both last year just. I mean, pre- yeah, especially after you got there, because that was basically when Pavetta's season completely flipped. Like, I, I guess he developed yeah. that sweeper and just his life his well, life just changed. Yeah. I mean, well, it was crazy. And the Whirly Bird, the Whirly Bird, the Whirly Bird. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta stick. Th- we're gonna do this all season. We're calling it the Whirly Bird every time it's thrown. Yeah, it was actually called that before the sweeper. I think about. I think I, I got taught it in twenty twenty two, beginning of twenty two, was 
introduced to me or Rio told me about it two years ago as the Whirlybird. It's like, what? But yeah, now it's the Sweeper. Sweeping slider. Did you learn that from Martin too? Uh, no, there's... Did Rio learn it? I think Rio learned it off of a video on Twitter a couple years ago. I think it was somebody from Tread talking about it. The seam shifted... It's a seam, seam shifted curveball, pretty much. You throw like a curveball and it just goes sideways. So it's a... It's an interesting pitch. It's definitely a physics pitch. Yeah. All right. We're, we're going to transition you here. Are you ready for some rapid fires? Rapid oh, fire okay. questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rapid fires. All right. First one for you. Weirdest item you've ever been asked to sign? Ooh. Um, I feel like I – Oh, how rapid is this? I think uh, a sticker. A sticker that had nothing to do with baseball. It might have been something from that Taylor Swift give or the Barbie giveaway. I think that was that was one thing. It was a little girl, but I don't I don't know if that's the weirdest thing. Give, circle back to me on that one. I'm thinking about it. All right, we'll have to one. we'll have to get you uh we'll have to get you to sign one of Rob's baseballs and boring stickers for him. Yeah, yeah. Favorite video game now or as a kid? You remember the Bigs? The Bigs was my favorite. Oh, video. oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's now it makes like, sense. This is why they have to tell you to to like uh, chill on the mound because yeah, that game was so fun. Am I thinking of the wrong game? Actually, what's the one where you can like? No, you're the, you're thinking of that's oh, slugfest. You, you get the you get the power ups in the bigs. Like they have yeah, the power up for you. Bigs is the shit. Oh, okay. Throw one hundred and ten. Yeah, Manny yeah. was a weapon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Gordo, oh. you're right. I was thinking of uh, slugfest where you could like the guy gets to second and the shortstop just comes over and. Whoosh, punches him and then he's out was a that's wild a game, game. slugfest uh all right next rapid fire question dogs or cats Ooh, love both but i'm gonna go with cats they're self-sustainable animals nice there's an intelligent that's answer. the that's the sammy answer sammy's a big cat guy where's larry right, larry's somewhere i got a guy named larry david he's a cat <laughs> i like that it's a big cat seinfeld guy more curb. I like curb more. Curb, curb, curb's good too. Yeah, I like that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Seeds or gum? Ooh, gum. Ooh. All right. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Yes. Oh, what are your guys' answers on this? That's Same a yeah. Dude, if you, here's my thought process. This is my rationale every time I've been asked this question. If you take one piece of bread and you put peanut butter on it and you fold it in half, is that a peanut butter sandwich? Yes. It, it is. the same with meat. But no. it's a if cylinder. You... It's a cylinder. It's not a sandwich. It's a hot dog. It's its own thing. What do you got? I agree with Sammy. It's its own, it's its own thing. I, I think, I think it's like the not all, not all rectangles are squares, but all squares are rectangles kind of thing. There you okay, go. Pat, follow up to you here. All if, right. if I took a hot dog bun and I doused it with peanut butter, that's not a sandwich. It's the same thing. What the hell are we talking about? That's a sandwich. No, no, it's it's got the same ingredients. Why is there peanut butter on a hot dog? It, it's not the ingredients. It's on the it's roll, the, Sammy, not the hot dog. The structure. Okay, it's I got on a question. The roll. If, if you cut the, if you instead of keeping the Sandwich, the hot dog bun together. If you cut the hot dog bun, 
and put a hot dog in between it. Is that a sandwich? No, 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 no. no. Okay, I, but if you okay. put peanut butter, if you put peanut butter on it, it's a sandwich. Yeah, yeah. If that, if that okay. Right. You, you guys are just idiots. This isn't that. <laughs> let, let me explain. Let me explain. A hot dog is its own category. When you have that tube of mystery meat and a, and, and a a bun or something that's serving as a bun, regardless of the shape, that is a hot dog. A sandwich is entirely different. I'm we'll die on this hill. When you go. We're, we're at Fenway. You ask the guy who's selling the hot dogs, hey, I'll take a sandwich. He's going to look at you like you're crazy. Right? He is. Yes. And Sammy, I'll add on to that. If you took two pieces of bread and put a hot dog in, in the middle of them, I don't even think that's a sandwich. No, that's just crazy. Yeah, that's just, this is lunacy. I can't believe that sparked that conversation. Not only am I surprised, I'm thoroughly disappointed in you two. That was disgusting. That's foul behavior. Okay, so I think my girlfriend has overheard us. She sent me an article about the cube rule of food identification. There's an entire web page. Oh, my God. There's an entire website dedicated to this question. So it has to be a cube. Yeah, a taco is a taco. Is a taco a sandwich? Yes. Ah. I think it's scary. No, it's not bread. Theory. That's not bread. No. True. It's still a, it's a, a, a chip. Point. Okay, what about what about sushi? Nah, sushi's not. No, bread. what the hell? Sushi is sushi. Yeah. Okay, is a calzone a sandwich? Here we go. That's a good question. Oh. No, because that's that's like baked dough. We're talking about bread here. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Different oh. subset. But let me ask you this. Is steak and cheese on a sub roll a sandwich? Yes. What are we doing? Yeah. This, no, I'm, I'm in. That, that's a sandwich. Yeah. Because you could say steak and cheese sandwich. People say that. I'm a if the, I, if Pat, I think if you like took the steak and cheese and like condensed it into the shape of a hot dog and it was like firmly in hot dog form shape wise, I would say it's not a sandwich. Okay. Listen to this. Here's the cube rule of food. If, the, if it's on the bottom only, that's toast. If there's two pieces of bread, top and bottom, that's a sandwich. If you have the sides, bottom only, that's a taco. A box is sushi. Uh, then you have like the soup. And then salad is the entire square. So there's no hot dog. Therefore, Wait. its own thing. It's a hot a taco? There's no hot dog, then it's a sandwich. No, because it's not in the sandwich thing it's, Wait, it's, but it's no but sammy i think you're you're helping their argument because if a hot dog's not listed yeah, in there yeah, that means it has to fall into one of the yeah. categories hot dog, hot dog is listed under the uh, number three the taco section so there it's are taco certain, so there are certain sandwiches that fall under this but generally sandwiches are not in the same category as the hot dog so i think we're all right in the end okay or maybe Everyone we're all wrong everybody wins all right Particip- participation trophies all around nice job guys okay anyway uh, and one more rapid fire question. Uh, what is your favorite thing about Boston? Ooh. Ooh, favorite thing about Boston? Yeah, other than like Fenway. <laughs> other than Fenway. I don't know. That walk to the field when I was staying at the Hotel Commonwealth right there, that walk to the field is just amazing. Uh, just like you, you get to walk around and after a game walking back there is very cool. You walk around all those bars. There's a lot of people out. 
my favorite thing there is not getting recognized. I don't think anybody really gets recognized. And I, there's a couple of big leaguers that have good stories about that. I'm not going to put them on blast, but there's a couple of guys that have good stories about not getting recognized and playing a joke about being on the Red Sox kind of thing. No one, but no one believing them. So um, I, I think it's just a, it's a good environment especially or I went to TD garden once for a Bruins game and just all the fans are the same. I think that's one thing that you get is like consistency of fans. Like they are diehard every Boston sport. Um, I grew up kind of a Jets fan. I was a Jets fan for approximately four snaps this year. Jets fans and Yankee fans are not the same. Really? Boston, uh, no, Jets fans expect to lose. Yankee fans want to win. Um, Jets fans expect to lose every single year. It's sad. And then I've been in that boat and I was excited for four snaps and then Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles. Um, I think you have in, in Boston, you, the Bruins fans, the Patriots fans, the Celtics fans, and the Red Sox fans all want to win. They're all the same level of crazy. They, ex- they have the same expectations every year. Um, I think that's something special too. kind of shows that the, the camaraderie of the city per se yeah that's interesting so, i, I kind of never as a person who grew up in the boston area you kind of just assume that in every other city that all of their sports teams regardless of the sport are the same people because that's totally how it is in boston like you get the same people at all four games so. you we are crazy though I'm glad you pointed that out <laughs> what was your what was your reaction to the jets trading for Rodgers? like did you did you expect something to go wrong I, I wasn't optimistic. It was like, oh, he's at the end of his career. It's like a Brett Favre situation when we had him too. Um, I will say though, just I'm more of a Niner fan now. I have been. I was living in the Bay Area last off season and a little bit this off season. So, kind of grown into Niner fan territory, which is not. I don't know. one likes him, but um, Christian McCaffrey on the fantasy team, I had to had to kind of root for him a little bit more. So. <laughs> Oh, I've I moved on. Next year, I will give the Jets another chance, maybe for like three or four weeks. We'll see. Not a Patriots guy? I got a Mac Jones jersey. Does that count? Oh, God, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I have yeah, one, too. We, we had Brendan Pino on, and we were talking about like if we like Mac Jones or not, and that feels like it was like – that feels like it was years ago. <laughs> oh, my God. Remember Dude. that? Yeah, that feels like forever ago. That was the season. Yeah, yeah and, and uh, Brennan was like, I, I like him. He's pretty good. And, and I was kind of like, yeah, okay, he, he's not bad. Now I'm like, all right, buddy, time to go. It was early, though. It was early in his defense. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm okay. curious to see how that draft goes. It's going to be interesting. Oh, so I give us a quarterback. Please give us a quarterback. I mean, you're getting a quarterback. So are you going to get Mac Jones 2.0 and Drake May? So, all right, all right. We've had enough of you, Chris. Thank you for your time. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're going to draft a lineman, and I'm just going to like have a meltdown. If you get Jaden Daniels, I'll I'll be a honorary Patriots fan. I like right. him a lot. All right, I like it. Okay. I like it. So you said you're a Niners fan. So I I, I know what the answer to this question is going to be. So I guess I'll ask for a score too. This will be our, our final question. Give us your Super Bowl prediction. Give give a give a score. Shootout. 34-31. Ooh. Oh. Who? Niners. Niners oh, are aware. I thought so. I thought yeah. so. I, 
I, I can't. I don't know. I don't know. It's the it's the crybabiness. I don't know. You didn't hear wow. me. Uh, yeah, no, I tweeted fair. about you. You can check my most recent tweet. Time for him to go four and one, three and one, and three and one because they're talking about how he's undefeated in all these games. Time to lose. I'm trying to see. Um, I can't tell if I want Mahomes to win because it makes Brady look better for having beaten him two times, or if I want Mahomes to because it's I like did, oh, catch Brady. I did say that earlier to somebody. I was like, every time Mahomes wins one of these playoff games, he makes Brady look better, but. I don't want him to win another Super Bowl. He's had enough. He's had this enough. is going to sound very bad. <laughs> I don't mean it in a bad way. I am dreaming of the Niners winning the Super Bowl. You get Travis Kelsey like sitting on the bench, head and hands, <laughs> and it pans up, and we just have Taylor Swift sobbing her face off. <laughs> <laughs> The one thing you're the one thing you're missing there is they're not going to show Travis Kelsey. They're just going to go straight and pan straight to Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah, they might actually just have a continuous Taylor shot with the box score at the bottom. He scored the other. He scored on Sunday, and they did not even show the celebration. They went straight to Taylor Swift. I was like, "What is going on?" It's real. It's crazy. What if the Niners win? They pan up to Taylor Swift. She's standing in the box like an emperor, looking down on the players. And she takes off the jersey, shakes her head, and walks out. And then, like an hour later, we're like, the relationship's over. It was contingent on the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. Did I mean, they brought on a ring. They brought you. What would happen if Taylor Swift shook it off? <laughs> yeah, that, that's what. That's where my head went too, Pat. That's where okay. my head went too. Uh, yeah. Melt in your chair, Sammy. All I right. like it. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Sammy. Oh, I'm God. I'm throwing a bet on that 33 one. Prediction. 34-31. Yeah. Yeah, I, like I had a buddy predict the exact score. He turned like two bucks into like 160 off of predicting the exact score of the Lions game. So I'll take I'll take your bet. Do it. But on that, Chris Murphy, big thanks for jumping on and making your play Tessie debut. Always welcome on the program. Yeah. Best we of luck. We'll have season. you back on. Yeah, we'll have you back on and, and best uh, of luck and we're excited sweet. to see you out there this spring. Thanks, guys. Excited. Excited to be back on next time. But, yeah, right. shoot me any questions if you have them. We'll, oh. we'll get back on this. Huge thanks to Chris Murphy for jumping on with us and making his play Tessie debut. As I said in the intro, it was inevitable. It was happening. We knew it was going to happen. You knew it was going to happen. Chris Murphy, by all accounts, awesome dude. Like, we, we hung out with him for a while at winter, re- winter weekend, and he was awesome there. Hops on with us, like, very generous with his time, like, by all accounts, he's just a great dude. I mean, I know I speak for all of us. We love Chris Murphy, and we're like, we're definitely excited to have him on again. What do Sammy, Pat, like thoughts on the interview, takeaways from the interview? That's uh, our guy, man. Yeah, it's our guy, and uh, a hot dog is not a sandwich. All so. right, that's enough of that. Yeah, Pat, now you're numbered, man. I'm numbered now. Yeah, no more Chris Murphy to protect you from your hot dog takes. I, I will say, we're, we're all three of us. We're in a weird spot right now because we're riding high. We just had a great interview with Chris Murphy. But this morning, the play Tessie group chat was the biggest bitch fest you've ever seen because of what Gordo mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Justin Turner heading to Toronto. So I don't know how to feel right now. I'm sad that JT's gone. I'm happy that Chris Murphy finally got on the show and we had a great interview and we all uh, unanimously agreed that a hot dog is not a sandwich, but 
I don't know, guys. How we? F- no more JT. That was a hell of a season he had. I would say maybe not the best hitter the Red Sox had, but certainly the most consistent. And now he leaves. Not his fault. Make that clear. He's gone to the Blue Jays for one year, 13, which is incredibly affordable. So <laughs> doable. So doable. Yeah. That's it's. Wow. I one up you, Sammy. I would go as far to say he was their best hitter last year. Well, he was. I mean, Devers had a down year, which is still a great year by all standards. But I mean, he was an absolute dog for them. He played every game that he could, was an on-base machine. He hit for, loved the monster, hit for power, knocked in runs, was an on-base machine, played a little bit of first. I think he played a couple of innings at second a little bit too. Some yeah, third. he had the, he was, he was fine at second. Yeah, like he was everything that they needed last year and still need now. And the fact that you let him go to a division rival for pennies on the dollar is batshit crazy. Yeah, there's Gordo. You had the best uh, the best tweet about it today. Uh, I don't know if you have that tweet in front of you. If I've, not- I've got a tweet up actually. I, it might be the tweet you're referencing. I don't know. I this this I anticipated because John Morosi had reported that Justin Turner's market was heating up. He was probably going to sign soon. He didn't list the Red Sox, so I I saw the writing on the wall and I threw my social media hail mary more so just to like get tweets out there so that I can reference them when he signs elsewhere. So I said the other day, Justin Turner, if you're trying, like if you're trying to compete, he's a really good right-handed bat. He can be your three-hitter. Like out of all these bats that they're considering, some of them can hit third, and some of them are more suited for the bottom of the lineup or like the six or seven spot. Like when we talk Adam Duvall, that's the role we want him in. But Justin Turner can be your three-hitter. He can he can DH, he can play first, he can play third. And as Pat reference, he can play second. Like he's not going to do it all the time, but he can play those positions. He can be versatile. He can get guys off their feet. And most importantly, he's the leader of your team. But I think as we've all come to realize over the last month or so, it doesn't necessarily look like the Red Sox are putting their best foot forward, as we said before, any foot forward. Not even a three-toed foot. Um, yeah. <laughs> so if you only if you only care about the future. And you're not you're not competing in 2024, and you're you're basically taking this as a punt year, which obviously none of us want. But if you are, Justin Turner still fits because it's an affordable one year deal. He can be a leader and an example for the next wave of guys that, by all accounts, they, like they see, this is a kind of their all in hail mary for their future is on these next wave of prospects. And third, you've got a bunch of fans out there. They they may not be like. By all like super happy with your offseason, but people would really like it. People would have loved to have Justin Turner back. Yeah, and it you have lost the team all watching. Goodwill. You've lost every ounce of goodwill if you're the Red Sox ownership. You won four World Series in Boston, the most crazed sports town in the country, and you've managed to lose all goodwill. And you would have gotten a good amount of it back if you just signed this 39-year-old DH to a one-year deal because everyone loves him. He fits a need. We don't have to go over it again. You covered everything, Gordo. It just makes no fucking sense. As Pat said last week, the fuck are we doing here? Nothing makes sense. Nothing. And, oh, my God. And I still think they're going to sign Jordan Montgomery. No. But the <laughs> craziest part about it, though, because, like, Rob report, Bradford reported 
after Paxton signed the LB on the West Coast, close to his home was important to him. We know that with a lot of free agents, there's other factors besides money. Like Zach Eflin last year was deciding between the Sox and the Rays and eventually picked the Rays mostly because it was closer to his home. So, like, ge geographical factors are a thing here. But with Justin Turner, this is a guy who extended his lease after the season to stay in Boston for a little bit longer because he loved his time here so much. He wanted to be here. Every time he got the chance last year, every time he, he was asked during the season, after the season, I want to say it was at like a Pedro Martinez gala that the, that the media got a hold of him yeah. and asked him. He wanted to be here. And by, by all accounts, to our knowledge, there was practically no effort made on the part of the Red Sox to keep him here, which yeah. it just it makes you ask yourself, like, do they, do they know what they're doing? Like, do they understand what's important in building a team? It's inexplicable, especially when Teoscar signs, Hoskins signs, all these guys are signing, and it's the Red Sox aren't going to go above a two-year deal. Cool. Like, it sucks, but whatever. In what world can you look at what Justin Turner did last year, look at your current roster, and what – the guys still available are going to get and say, you know what? We're all right. We're good. We'll pass. I, I don't, and Gordon, you're right. Like it does beg the question. Do they actually know what this team looks like right now? Do they think that this team is on paper set and that they can yeah. win baseball games? Let me ask the same question I asked a few weeks ago. <laughs> the 26 man roster. How many can John Henry name? 12. 12 is generous? I was going to say 6. But it's, Pat, to your, to your point from before, though, every time, like you said, the thing about two-year deals and like them not wanting to go over that, and every time they're asked about something like that, they've said, we don't want to sacrifice future wins for wins today. Like, we think our window's in the future. And you may not agree with that mindset, but you at least have to respect it because it's an opinion to have. With Justin Turner him would not have sacrificed future wins it wouldn't have pushed you anywhere close to the luxury tax it was affordable like you would have to think they're going to pay that amount of money to somebody or some combination of players at some point and right now like we every like breslow was asked by pap on the school like what's the most important like how do you improve how do you get this team back into contention he says improve the pitching and we all agree pitching is their most glaring need but you can't forget about the offense and as of today significant players going out justin turner oxford Hugo, and adam ball as of now adam ball and coming in tyler o'neill and vaughn grissom this is an offense that ranked ninth last year in ops and that's playing in fenway park so they aren't actually the ninth best offense that's just their results and they've gotten worse so an offense that was average is only getting worse and lose its 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 leader leader of the clubhouse like emotional leader of the team like you can't you can't even begin to explain how huge that loss is yeah and and it just further strengthens the strengthens the point that was tough for me to say further strengthens the point that we have no clue what the plan is for the last 3 years i've felt pretty confident that i understood what they were doing you know, like we've discussed a million times, build up the farm, you know, develop your guys internally, 
And then when you have that core set, you supplement a little, which they did in 2023 with, you know, Yoshida, Jansen, et cetera. And then they're just, it feels like they're just giving up on the plan now. They're like, eh, nah, we don't want to do it. Mm, Justin Turner, one year, 13 million. Uh, I don't know about that. There's just nothing, there's nothing to justify it. And to make it more annoying, Jorge Soler, who we've talked about ad nauseum on this show, he's still out there. He could probably be had for two years, three years at like 18 million, maybe. Yeah, yeah, probably 15, 15, 18 yeah, 15 even. I mean, he initially was projected for three, uh, three years, 45, which would be 15 million. So if you shorten it to two, maybe the price goes up a little, the years come down, whatever. Regardless, super affordable power bat, right-handed, check all the boxes. And I have zero confidence that they're even going to make an effort to sign that guy, let alone anyone in that category. So uh, as a fan, I feel lost. I feel frustrated. My enthusiasm has been absolutely torched, and yeah, I don't know, I don't know what to tell people. Going off that, Sammy, though, you made a good point in the sense that they're just like, "Yep, once we're set, like we'll invest," and they're like, eh, "Never mind." They are literally moving the goalposts. We were told when the young core was up and established, and that core at the time was Jaron Duran, Tristan Casas, Brian Bayo. Once these guys are up and established, that's when we strike. That's when we spend our money. Now that those guys are up and prove that they're major leaguers and playing well, they have now flipped to, okay, but once Meyer, Anthony, Rafaela, and Teal are up, that's when we'll strike. Like, how long is it just the stringing along? Like, we're told this is when. That time comes, and they say, eh, I'm okay. And they move it again. Like it's getting to the point where fans should be very pissed off and everybody is. Yeah. And, you know, off of both of your points, Jen McCaffrey, the ironic put out a poll. It's going to end up turning into an article, but she's giving fans the opportunity to answer questions about like the, one of the, whatever, one of the questions in there is how confident are you in the direction of the team or like, do you feel that they have like a solid direction or something of that order? And Sammy, like you said, like under Heimblum, this isn't this isn't meant to be a knock on Breslow. It's more so just the timing thing. But under Heimblum, I fully understood the vision. Like you needed to wait for guys to come up to strike because if they had invested in, let's say, Nick Castellanos after 2021, he would have put up good seasons. But now that your core is ready to compete, now Nick Castellanos is on the decline. So it's like you can't invest in guys at that point. But at this point, your core is ready to compete. There's no reason to not spend. Like these guys are ready to win now if you just supplement it with the pieces and they're not doing it, which I, I took her poll and, and I forget if it was a yes or no or a scale of one to five, but I, I definitely was said some answer on, along the lines of I'm not confident in this team's direction right now. I, I do believe they've got a really good farm system and I believe that Craig Breslow Outside of disagreeing with his opinion on, on the DH position, I feel like he has a very good understanding of what to do and how to make a good value move. And I think he will be aggressive, not necessarily in spending, but in, in move making. So I feel good about that. And I feel good about the farm. How can you feel good about the team's direction if ownership isn't showing any inclinations to spend? You can't. 
There's a ceiling yeah. cap on it. You know what really scares me? Really, really scares me. Really keeps me up at night. Yoan Moncada. He was the most can't-miss prospect in baseball on the Red Sox. And if you're not familiar, this kid, the Red Sox signed out of Cuba. I think he was. Pat, you're going to know the answer to this. What was he? When he was traded to, for Chris Sale to the White Sox, number he was one. Number, number one. one in baseball? Number one. It was number him, one. Michael Kopech, and uh, Andrew So Okay. So the reason why this guy keeps me up at night is because he sucks now. So if you get one Yoan Moncada out of Anthony, Meyer, and Teal, you are in a boatload of a mess because right now they're not spending. They haven't made any of those aforementioned uncomfortable trades that, like, I mean, it's, unless you want to count Verdugo to the Yankees, I don't count that as much. But you're not signing big-name uh, players. You're not making those uncomfortable trades. It's all on these kids, who some of who can't even legally buy a drink right now, and like, it's just crazy to me. You have the formula. You've won four World Series where you have a core, you call up the young guys, add the young guys to the core, and then you supplement from every direction. And they're just like, no, we're not going to do this proven four times formula. Like, it's just so, it's, it's frustrating as hell. It seems like there's such a path to contending this year and beyond, and they're just, I feel neglected as a fan. That's how I feel. Sammy, the, the, you, you bring up a good point because, yes, they're not like, – look at some of these World Series teams like the, the Rangers and you look at the middle of their lineup and go look at the Dodgers. Look at all these great teams in the middle of their lineup. They've got like three, four, five stars or fringe stars. The Red Sox in their lineup right now have two. They've got Casas Endeavors. Basically, you're, if you're not going to spend, you need like multiple of these prospects down on the farm these big three guys to turn into legitimate studs. If you're willing to spend to supplement with at least one, like your, your margin of error just increases so much. Like just having the ability to spend means you don't have to hit on every single prospect, every single time you think you have one. There's just, but I, mean, I don't know, like how can you believe they're going to spend? How can, like if they're not willing to, to spend $13 million or, Let's be real here. Justin Turner probably would have taken one or two million less than he took in Toronto to stay in Boston because he yeah. loved it here so much. And, yeah, he and they're told, not even willing to talk to him. He told you he loves Boston. I mean, he have you have you ever seen a guy come to the Red Sox and get integrated into the community so quickly like Justin Turner did? And I know that like you have to be producing as well, but he did. He had an both. Yeah, he was clutch. You know. I don't agree with Pat saying he was the best hitter on the team, but I'm not going to argue anyone who thinks that there's a total, you know, fair way to look at it and say that. So I don't know. It's just so it's stupid. Everyone, everyone is dumb and I'm mad. The one thing that like stands out to me is they keep kind of repeating themselves saying, we're not going to give away future wins to win now. Like that's been the recurring theme. We're not going to trade away future wins. Not Doing anything this year costs you future wins. Because a year from now, we're in the same predicament. Giolito is gone. O'Neal is gone. Chris Martin is gone. If Kenley's here, Kenley is gone. Pavetta is gone. You have laid zero groundwork 
for this roster moving forward outside of absolutely banking on these three guys. So in a world where you sign Montgomery this year and you sign, let's say, Solaire this year, you have a number, functional number one for this year, Well, I guess. Good enough. In Good a enough, DH. Yeah. Good enough. In a DH. Next year, when we're in this predicament, those guys are here and you worry about, okay, we need an ace, maybe a five starter, back of the bullpen. You have pieces there. We, and I hate to say this, I don't think there's any amount of moves that they can make next year based on where the roster currently is that even makes them a contender next year. You're looking at a contender in 26. Oh. No, you're right, Pat. They, yeah. the, the important 2024, like it was going to be a year where if you made the right moves to fill out the roster, you contend, but the 2025 would be a yes, we are contending year. Now, if, I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to say if they signed Montgomery and Blair, because like if they did that, you'd have a complete roster. And I'd argue that even though like you don't necessarily have an ace ace, you could compete for a playoff spot. And like, we'll see from there. Oh but I don't think that stuff is happening, which means that like now, like 25 is going to be that year. Like you're going to have these kids coming up and like, obviously we see rookies struggle all the time. Like it's just the name of the game. Like maybe they maybe they spend a little bit to supplement it, but like if you're if you're riding the highs and lows of rookies, like you're gonna have you're gonna have to have a lot of stuff go right to be a legitimate contender in 2025. Like, are we seriously potentially waiting until 2026 to be real contenders? And then by that point, like Casas and Bayo are halfway to free agency. Like yeah, you've now got a three year window. Yeah, I'm almost gonna be 40 by the time these fuckers are good. Like, yeah. I have no, you gotta let, yeah, laugh it up, laugh it up. I'm the old You're guy. You're 50, dude. You're 50 by the time the Sox are gonna get in. Yeah, this year. You know, what's so, you know what's so sad is we went from like, what's your percentage chance they sign Otani to like, ah, oh, that was never realistic. What about Yamamoto? And now we've fallen so far that we're just like, please put a complete team on the field for God's sakes. We're talking about, are they gonna have a full rotation? Yeah, we, we went have a rotation. What we, the fuck? We went from what are your what's your percent chance in Otani? Over I think we're a real underdog. I think we have a decent chance to now being like Team. I hope they were in Noah Syndergaard's bullpen today. Like <laughs> it's, it's a mess, dude. It sucks. You, you said that if they signed Michael Lorenzen, this was like months ago, that you would like jump off a bridge or something. I think I said I'd play in traffic, yeah. Play in traffic. What would you do now if they signed Michael or Lorenzen? I would dance in the streets. We're having parties, man. <laughs> We're having parties. <laughs> dancing in the streets. <laughs> the Red Sox would be so yoked with Duran, O'Neal, and Lorenzen. But, yeah, he's probably out of the Red Sox price rate. What did uh friend of the show, Jared Carabas, said? I realize Justin Turner is not a fit because he costs money. <laughs> <laughs> this in search of the elusive zero dollar, zero cent, zero years player. But. Maybe one day. Uh, okay. Anyway, you guys want to do enough said now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 roll with some enough said. Mine's, guys, mine's you go you go Pat. You go first. Mine's yeah. pretty brief. Uh so first and foremost, I wanna preface this. I thoroughly enjoy Kylie McDaniel from ESPN. I enjoy reading his articles. He's a very smart baseball mind, especially when it comes to um like college prospects, mock drafts, scouting and things like that. 
Um, the one thing that I do not like about Kylie McDaniel is his unknown as to why grudge against the Red Sox and their farm system. His prospect rankings come out tomorrow. Uh, I'm going on podcast record right now. Sedan Rafaela will not be ranked. I think Kyle Teal is about 78. I think Roman Anthony is about 34. And I think Marcelo Mayer is 26. I think being generous. He, he's going to have like Kyle Teal in the 90s. Meyer, no, he'll have Anthony as the, as the best Red Sox prospect at 34. And he's going to kick Meyer all the way down to like 52. Yeah. Kyle Teal is going to be like hanging on the list in the 90s. Sayon Rafael is not even going to get mentioned. He's going to yeah. he's gonna mention like, oh, just missed the list. Rafael is not going to be in there. He's, he's just not even going to be in Here's my bold prediction. In his audible mention, if there is a Red Sox, it will be Miguel Blaze, not Sedan Rafaela. Oh, yeah. Like one of those prospect guys who's like, I see the real value in these guys. Let me tell you. Hey, I, I actually don't think that's crazy, though. It, well, actually, no, you can't put Miguel Blaze in that category after missing the entire. Yeah. Season. He would have been, been, been top 100 if he was holding this year. He's got the ceiling, but it's like you can't, you can't put him. Yeah. You can't put him anywhere near those lists right now. But he could go there. But anyway, I'll go next. I, this, this is a tweet from at Blake H. Harris. I, I want to say that he's, he's a Dodgers writer. Blake. And, yeah, Blake Blakey Boy tweeted about uh, bobblehead dates for the Dodgers in 2024. This is the Dodgers, the team that signed Shohei Otani, signed Yoshinobu Yamamoto, traded for Tyler Glass now, signed Teoscar Hernandez, signed James Paxton, already has Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and Will Smith. And like, we could just keep going on and on. Okay. They're just, they're stacked beyond belief. These are the bobblehead dates for 2024. March 30th, Freddie Freeman. 413, Bruce Dark Ratterall. 420, Walker Bueller. 516, Shohei Otani. 518, Will Smith. 521, Mookie Betts. 61, Tyler Glasnow. 73, Bobby Miller. 76, Jason Hayward. 87, Sidney Koufax. 89, Dougie Baker. 811, Matt Kemp. 828, Shohei Otani. He couldn't even fit it all into the tweet. July 24, August 20, September 11, September 25, also have mystery bobblehead days. They are giving away 17 bobbleheads next season to a team or to a fan base that should have no problem filling the ballpark. Meanwhile, I don't know how many the Red Sox have, but I want to say it's like four, if that. And yeah, my, my enough said is if you're not going to put a really good team on the field, at least give me like. 10 awesome bobbleheads to add to my collection. Please. I got a big bobblehead guy. I think every single current player, I think every single player that they're giving out a bobblehead of, if you put them on the Red Sox, they're a top three player on the team right now, which is crazy because you said bruised dog Gratterall, but I think that's accurate. What about Matt Kemp? Also, current day Matt Kemp, he might current, give. Current Matt Kemp. Current Matt yeah, Kemp. He, you, there's your DH. He um, dated <laughs> he, he gets the uh, the Rihanna bump because he dated her, so he, he wins. The, yeah. The other thing, did you say there's mystery bobbleheads? Yeah, he says, I couldn't even fit everything because there's so many bobblehead giveaways, LOL. But there are also four bobblehead nights where they haven't even announced the players yet. Yeah. I'll be very curious to see who they give out on 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, man, you're the 9-11 bobblehead. Hey, well, the Red Sox are doing a fucking mystery roster. So that's exciting. That's more exciting than a mystery bobblehead. We got no clue. And we have a team. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, we we, kind of – oh, mind if I go? Wrap this up? Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. You go last. All right, let me make everyone even angrier. Here's what's on deck for the uh, Fenway Sports Group shitstorm. They are nearing a $3 billion investment in the PGA Tour. And that's it. That's my enough set. <laughs> I thought it was there. So I thought, I don't think they're the entire three bill. I think no, they're, they're like, there's a bunch. A chunk of it. Yeah, they're the biggest part of it, I think. But yeah, yeah I think like Wick Grosbeck is in there too. But yeah, yeah, whatever. Your point stands. The fact that Fenway is, you know, I mean, I don't have to explain it. Anyone who's listening knows the deal. Like that, and I've kind of come around to this. I didn't think this was a thing earlier on. I figured like you have a portfolio. It doesn't matter what you're focused on at the time, but it just seems like the Red Sox are an after afterthought for Fenway Sports Group, which is sad because they're literally the Fenway Sports Group. But um, yeah, just giving people a warning. Uh, when this happens, you're going to hear about it a lot. And uh, I would not blame you if you're pissed off. I don't understand if it affects the Red Sox or not. I'm not going to pretend I'm smart enough to know how that works. But I don't like the looks of it. And uh, we'll leave it at that. And I think it impacts the Red Sox. I think all these things do. But, yeah. You guys got anything left or uh, you all good? No, I have nothing left. I am a, I'm just a vessel with a brain that's barely working anymore because the Red Sox have ruined me. And we are not even in spring training yet. So, woohoo! Baseball. Hey, uh, see you on the lookout on Twitter. Me, Chris Murphy, will be releasing our world tour karaoke bar schedule. Oh yeah, Chinese restaurants around the uh, New England area. Watch out! Still gotta. I still gotta figure out what song I'm thinking of, but you should be like the. Don't go breaking my heart. That should be That's the name of the song, Gordo. What song? What's the name? That is the name. Don't go breaking my heart. It's Elton John. Oh, is that why I thought of that? Did you just say that? Oh, okay. No, my, did, I, my mind's fried, man. Do milkshake. You know, my milkshake's bringing all the boys to the end. That'd be. Oh, yeah. What it's a full like, circle moment. Gorda goes, I don't know the name of that song, and then sings the title of the song. <laughs> I love hearing about like, Gordo's, like, not knowing pop culture. There's something refreshing. Oh, you're, you're unplugged. That's nice. That's good. I'm like overly plugged in with like Red Sox and like Boston sports in general. And I'm overly unplugged with other things that like also matter in the world. <laughs> like, you know, I said, I said Gordo's unplugged. And then I was like, wait a minute. No, he's an aggregator for sports. Never mind. He's just plugged into this thing. Very yeah. specific subset yeah. of something. That's me. Yeah. Well, it, you can see how it's affecting us in a positive way right now. We're all super happy and giddy to be talking about the red Sox. yeah 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 i tuned in on messing the rivalry with juan soto versus pablo reyes all right i'm gonna go to bed same and on that note huge thanks to chris murphy for jumping on the show as always hit that subscribe button spotify apple podcasts Odyssey app, WEI on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Make sure to follow us. Like we we appreciate every single time you guys 
hit that follow button. You get a notification every single time, uh, every single time an episode comes out. We always appreciate it. And on that note, Chris Murphy.